Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Welcome to Go-Getters. Please note that the following was recorded before the disruption caused by the coronavirus, and you may hear references to things that have since changed. Please stay with us after the interview for an update from our guest, and visit our website at lehigh.edu slash go-getters for extras and bonus content. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Go-Getters. Today we're with Kanja Mehta, the inaugural Vice Provost for Creative Inquiry and Director of the Mountaintop Initiative. Welcome, Kanja. Thank you, John. So uh, maybe we should begin. Uh, you've been here now for three years. Three years. Uh, what brought you to Lehigh? What brought me to Lehigh? Um, I was really inspired by the clarion call that was made by the university to to bring creative inquiry back as a central element and ethos of the academic enterprise. And I was really inspired, uh, of course, by the beautiful space up at Mountaintop, but also the culture that we were trying to build across campus uh, to take this, what was essentially a summer program, and uh, take the ethos of that program and integrate that into every aspect of the university culture. And I kind of, uh, the metaphor I used was, this is mountain dust we got to sprinkle across campus. And that's what I wanted to do. I saw potential for impact. I saw potential for really changing the way we think about education, the way we deliver education, thinking the, uh, rethinking the way in which students and faculty and external partners and dolphins and whales all come together to create, to create things that don't yet exist and yet could help improve the human condition. Uh, I think our recent alumni would certainly know uh, what the Mountaintop Initiative is and um, many people probably have read the New York Times article that was uh, published about it. But I'd like you to uh, uh, describe in your own words, how, how, what is the Mountaintop Initiative? So the Mountaintop Initiative, which, uh, the Mountaintop Initiative is just one snapshot of how creative inquiry comes to life. Uh, it is where on our beautiful Mountaintop campus, uh, we fund teams essentially over the summer to work on all kinds of open-ended questions and challenges. Um, we have teams working on trying to understand the relationship between anxiety and creativity at a genetic level. We have teams working on uh, low-cost diagnostic devices to screen for sickle cell trait. We have teams that are working on um, on on social justice theater uh, to educate people who are mass incarceration. So we have students, faculty, external partners all come together and work on all kinds of open-ended problems in the summer, and then they continue that work into the academic year through a series of courses. And by doing that, they learn how to learn. They learn how to identify problems, how to uh, how to design new things, which could be new technologies, new business models, new works of art, uh, what have you, uh, and take those, uh, take those, their creations out to the big good world. 
Uh, I actually remember when Pat Farrell came into my office and said he wanted to create the position of vice provost for creative inquiry. And I thought it was uh, unique, and I thought it actually uh, sort of put a flag out there for what Lehigh was going to stand for as we thought deeply about what 21st century education would look like. So for uh, our audience, can you uh, expand upon what is meant by creative inquiry? Sure. So I uh, will go back to this uh, notion of experiential education, and that's one I struggle with. Uh, of course, I absolutely believe in experiential education. That's how I always learned myself. But uh, what is the goal of that experiential education? Is it is that are we engaging students in uh, in hands-on activities where they are doing to learn? And is the goal of that learning, or is it much more than learning? So I've been over time getting uh, increasingly uh, disenchanted and somewhat even allergic to this notion of learning and learning for the sake of learning and focusing on these narrow learning outcomes because knowledge is infinite and um, we are teaching students only a little bit of what of all the knowledge that is out there so what's important is not delivering a, a certain amount of knowledge as much as teaching them how to learn how to learn fast and apply that knowledge to create value so a lot of um, my work is focused on the outcomes beyond the learning outcomes. And so we talk a lot about, um, about uh, personal growth and transformation, uh, revisiting uh, your aspirations and your career pathways, finding the true you, and starting with that deep sense of purpose um, and developing. So instead of um, taking one course after another after another and learning some amount of content, what if we say, hey, Think about what problems do you truly deeply care about and uh, that really resonate with you, that keep you up at night, that you really want to change, you want to see a, a different world. Let's envision, though, let's, let's come up with, you know, let's envision what that brave new world would look like and then let's find others who care deeply about it and um, instead of starting from this incremental approach of uh, learning, 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 which we will apply someday, let's learn what we need to learn to solve that problem or to contribute to a solution and do that with a sense, with, uh, with a deep um, uh, sense of humility uh, as well as maturity. Uh, which is a fine balance, and reach that point of optimal ignorance where we are ready to contribute to a solution. Uh, so I, I want to quote one of your uh, favorite phrases, actually, and that's uh, um, the frustration with tyranny of content. And, and I certainly meet many college students who uh, start to see uh, the ways in which they're being educated uh, become obstacles to actually achieving their career. And there are quite a number of upperclassmen who will tell me, you know, I got 20 credits to take the next two years, and then I graduate as if that's just a checkbox to get from here to there to then pursue their career. So I wonder if you have any uh, sort of uh, personal stories from the people you've worked with where where you see this sort of uh, inspirational, aspirational light bulb go off in people as they, they move from the classroom into uh, these type of creative inquiry experiences. 
Sure. You know, first I can relate this back to my own experiences. I, I did my K-12 education and my undergraduate education in India, and I always struggled. I always struggled with, well, first waking up in the morning, uh, but then, you know, going to class and sitting through, uh, sitting through a lot of classes where the teachers would write on the blackboard and you were supposed to write it all down. And I think there were two inflection points. One, I realized that I, learned, I loved being outside doing science projects and doing and writing poetry and competing in embroidery competitions and building, creating all kinds of stuff. But the other inflection point for me was, uh, was and what I always struggled with then, I struggle with now, is um, uh, this idea that the teachers would say, well, here is, well, here is a problem we want you to solve. Uh, and the question in my head was, well, do you have the answer to that solution? And the answer was always yes. I was supposed to do it. And the question was, why should I be doing solving a problem that's already been solved? Right? I wanted to I want to solve a problem that has not been solved. That would be that would be a dream. That would be something I, where I would actually want to learn something because it's not been done. And I see that struggle with almost every single student that I work with at Lehigh. I can give you an, an example of um, Chris Ferreno, who's a bioengineering student. He is part of our Global Social Impact Fellowship. And uh, he was working with uh, a, a bunch of students from engineering uh, from the College of Arts and Sciences. And uh, they were really inspired and uh, maybe a little shaken up by this challenge of malnutrition and stunting in Sierra Leone. So 40% of the kids in Sierra Leone are stunted, and uh, we were uh, requested by the director for, for nutrition for the country to work with them to help find some solutions. And uh, so here you have a bunch of Lehigh engineers designing muffins. Uh, it's, it sounds trivial, but it's not, because uh, designing a food product in a way that it, the way it's manufactured, the way it's sold, the way it's consumed, so that uh, it carries the micronutri it carries micronutrients like vitamin A and zinc and iodine that can actually be metabolized by a child's body uh, is a non-trivial problem. And uh, here you have a whole bunch of students working on this problem. They develop products. They, they actually taste tested uh, this product with over 400 uh, kids and their mothers. Um, and Chris is moving to Sierra Leone uh, at the, after graduating in May to pursue this venture forward. And in so many conversations with him, the last one being yesterday morning, as you're talking about the logistics of some of how he's going to do this, um, it was clear like this was that aha moment where he said, okay, I'm just tired of learning all this stuff which I don't know how and where I'm going to apply. But this, I see how I can change the world. This is not just impacting the, our local community when you think about uh, impacting populations, but you're introducing people to global problems around the world. And, uh, you know, we, we look at some you know, basic facts. Over a billion people in the world are malnourished. And if you actually look at the data, uh, that is becoming a larger problem because of climate change stressors and a bunch of other reasons. So whether you talk about... Uh, Issues of food security, uh, the global health challenges, uh, whether it's uh, you know tuberculosis drug adherence regimen or um, uh, the coronavirus uh, epidemic, that's a real challenge right now. Uh, there are a lot of global grand challenges related to healthcare and education and food security, and those really. Um, engage our students, especially after they have had a chance to engage with people in these places one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. 
and they develop a deep emotional engagement. And that deeper emotional engagement is what inspires them to learn, to create, to work shoulder to shoulder with these, uh, with these partners in various developing countries uh, to get stuff done. So when I listen to uh, all that you have going on, you have a very complex job. Uh, I can see you need to be a facilitator, you need to be a mentor, and you need to be a leader. And you need to uh, have support from the faculty to actually attract the students. So, so how, do you go about, uh, how do you go about doing this? How do, how do you bring your energy uh, to make this successful on our campus? Great. So... Um, I think, yes, I have to be a facilitator, a mentor for students, but at some level I also have to be an executor. And what really helped me the most, especially on the global side, is demonstrating what's possible. Uh, so I've been working with a team that's working on uh, a test strip to screen women for preeclampsia and urinary tract infections, which are two of the major contributors to high maternal mortality rates uh, in West Africa. And uh, we've been working on this at Lehigh for the last two years. And this team has actually, uh, they just got regulatory approval for this device two months back. And they hired their first employee, and they are working on – this is a systemic innovation. There's, there's product innovation, but there's a whole ensemble of more than 35 different things that this team has created to, to get that test strip into the hands of the people that need it most across the country. That's what we are striving for. And that – focus on execution and getting stuff done is incredibly helpful to get more faculty on board because earlier when I would talk to faculty and say, wow, look, this is what we want to do. This is what we want our students to accomplish. They would say, no, this is not something that students can do. And so the first step is to get them to believe and get them to see what students are capable of because I fundamentally believe that we have uh, very low expectations from students. And I think we need to absolutely raise the bar and completely change our expectations, and that goes right back to the tyranny of content. You get an A, and that's great. Who cares? <laughs> who, who cares? You know what the grades are. What matters is what are you capable of doing. What are you capable of accomplishing? Go back to Asa Packer. What are we capable? How do we prepare students to? Pre uh, how do we prepare students to play an active role in the economy of life? Right, and that is for a in a very different world of work. So how do you get faculty on board? Demonstrate what is possible uh, and then say, hey, here's a challenge. And what we learned is that uh, if you ask faculty, hey, what, uh, what would you like to work on? Typically, those tend to be pretty boring projects or, hey, how about we get a bunch of our old computers from Salvage uh, and get them to some of the folks who could use these computers. And yes, that's a great idea and we can do that. But let's think much, much, much bigger and think about a real challenge. Let's take a short break. How can artificial intelligence be used to combat human trafficking? What will future finance jobs look like? How do algorithms improve efficiency? If you're looking for insight on current hot topics or just love to learn, join a Mountain Talk. In these 30-minute video chats brought to you by Alumni Relations, a Lehigh expert shares new discoveries and perspectives on challenges facing our world today. Listen live or on demand. Visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. Now's the time to join Lehigh's Virtual Alumni Book Club, 
Join hundreds of fellow alumni to explore discussion-worthy books throughout the year in an easy and engaging online forum. To sign up, visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. Welcome back to Go-Getters. We're talking with Kanjan Mehta. So in a world where GPAs and internships dominate a student's academic record, how do you go about building the self-confidence in students that they can tackle these much grander problems? Uh, through, uh, so first of all, it has the recognition that we have a lot of large, complex challenges has to start really, really early. So I would love to see a whole bunch of prelusion-style programs before students even start at Lehigh that they have a deeper understanding for their place in the world, a deeper understanding of the grand challenges in the world, and how they can actually be agents of change. And I think that would be the most, you know, that would be the best jumpstart, the best kind of launch for them into, uh, into higher education. You know, we have... So we have more than a hundred amazing programs across campus that develop the skill sets and mindsets necessary to tackle global grand challenges. Uh, these could be programs in entrepreneurship. These could be programs in community engagement, in the arts, uh, engaged in uh, in faculty-driven research. Uh, these are all important programs, and we don't have as many students make the most of all these different opportunities. So if we can find a way to actually get students into these kinds of programs and get them in there early, that would be a really good preparation. So the question was, uh, so I'm just wondering how you actually uh, get students to believe they can do this. So they've been working really hard to just create something, and when you create something, you learn best. So how do we make them believe that they can do it? Let's get them to do it and set the bar really high. Your goal, every student, you should be graduating with multiple publications. You should have tried, you know, working in a startup environment. Uh, you should have uh, created a new thing that does not exist. We don't co care what it is, but you have that. That should be our goal, and it shouldn't be about the GPA. You know, I've hired more than 200 people, mostly kind of in the startup space with all the social enterprises that me and my students have started over the years. I never have, I've never considered a student's or a, an employee's GPA. It's all about their mindset. It's all about their portfolio. It's, all, it's about what have you actually accomplished. And would you hire a student with a 3.8 GPA who's never actually gotten outside the textbook? Or would you hire a student with a 3.4 GPA, or forget, a 2.8 GPA who has five publications, who has created a new technology, who has figured out how to you know, build a venture around it? I would go with that student any day. Uh, you mentioned embroidery. <laughs> so uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that, that time in your life? Sure, and that's, um, wow, so I was probably about seven years old, I was in third grade, uh, and um, uh, there were a bunch of kind of extracurricular, co-curricular things that uh, were, that the school supported, and uh, there were different activities for boys and girls. Uh, and uh, I actually don't even remember what the boys were supposed to do, but the girls were supposed to learn embroidery. And uh, all my friends were girls. Uh, I, yeah, all my friends were girls, and uh, they were doing embroidery. And so I also wanted to do embroidery. And uh, after a lot of back and forth, they actually let me go. And 
uh, do embroidery with the girls. All the boys did make a lot of fun of me all the time, uh, but I learned all kinds of stitches. I could do more than 40 different stitches when I was seven, eight years old. And uh, there was a competition at the end of uh, this one-year period, and across the school, all the third, fourth, fifth graders, I believe, uh, I placed second, which I'm pretty proud uh, of. You should uh, be proud of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I like to learn new things, and this was an opportunity to learn something uh, really cool and really different. Along those lines, can you talk a little bit about, uh, uh, I, would, I would call it learning how to fail. Yeah, so um, going back, the reason I think that we mountaintop, we, it was incredibly important to take the mountaintop summer experience and make it a year-round program because to accomplish something beautiful, to accomplish something noteworthy that contributes to society, you have to fail a whole bunch of times. Um, and the summer is barely enough time to fail a couple of times. Um, failing is hard. Our students are not used to failing. Uh, we want them to learn how to fail and, and accept failure as a, as, a, as a normal part of the, of the journey in creating something new. So uh, it's hard for students to fail. It's hard for students to accept critical feedback. Um, uh, that's something we really struggle with because everything we do is incredibly real world. Uh, and reality is a binary. It's real. It's not. We're not interested in Mickey Mouse problems or we're not interested in, you know, in, in kind of... Um, uh, you know, doing amazing presentations and saying this is how you solve a problem. It has to work. It has to work in the real world. And that means you're going to encounter a lot of failure, which is a lot of opportunities to learn. And uh, that is great uh, experience for our students to build up their own personal resilience. And while it might be difficult getting started, over time they actually get pretty comfortable with it. Uh, with talking about failure, accepting failure, learning from failure, ref engaging in critical reflection uh, to pick up the pieces and go again. So in the students you've uh, worked with in, in the Creative Inquiry initiatives, do you, uh, do you find that their uh, career aspirations change as they go through these experiences? Absolutely. You know, you have uh, students across the spectrum. You have the ones that come in because they want to work for the big four in New York City. And uh, they've figured out the next 40 years of their life, you know, down to the month. Um, and then you have the others that have no clue what they want to do. And uh, I think that uh, these kinds of open-ended uh, projects uh, with real impact, with the purpose driving the project is, a, is, is the perfect um, uh, ecosystem for students to really question uh, what it is that they want to do, for them to really find their why. And that might change over time, but it's, it's about opening their minds and, and, show, and showing them how there are just so many different ways to, to live a good life. Um, and we've had, we've had so many students who always thought they wanted to go work in New York City who are now considering working for nonprofits. And we've had students who always wanted to change the world, and they believe that the only way to do that is by working in nonprofits. 
who are now realizing that, no, you need industry, and industry can move the needle. And for certain kinds of impacts, you have to go work in industry or work in the government. And that kind of transformation, that kind of questioning, uh, finding their why and questioning what is the right career pathway for them is a, is a really important uh, outcome beyond the learning outcome. So, Kanjan, when you were 18 years old and thinking about college, what were your career aspirations? Uh, I grew up in a family of engineers. Everybody in my family is an engineer. My dad, all my uncles, all my cousins, my wife, my brother, his wife, everybody's an engineer. And to make it easy, we are all mostly electrical engineers, a few biomedical. So I grew up in a family of engineers. I always liked, I always liked to build things. So it was but natural having this propensity for engineering, I would end up in engineering school, which I did. Uh, and I got my engineering degree. I, I seldom went to classes. Uh, I typically got really bored in classes. Uh, the one aha moment I had was when I had a professor in um, uh, digital circuit design, I believe. It was, it was about digital design, and uh, this professor was um, uh, was uh, from the Indian Space Research Organization, and uh, I seldom went to his classes, and, and attendance is not mandatory, doesn't matter in the Indian educational system. Uh, so I never went to class, but then I had to do these projects to get my you know grades, uh, which was a small portion of the grade. But the challenge he gave me is design a rocket sequencer. Uh, and here are a few constraints and something to think about. And I was just fascinated by this. And I actually, uh, that was the only time I went to the library because I also find libraries pretty boring, actually. And uh, I got uh, four large sheets of paper and I drew out this whole circuit on how this rocket sequencer would work. And that's where I actually went and read a bunch of books on how stuff works because I wanted to solve this problem. Um, and he actually, I, a week later, I went back and he looked at that. And uh, he looked at it for like 10, 15 minutes and said, I think you need a capacitor here. Uh, and that's it. He drew that capacitor, said, good job. And I was on my way. I never went back to his class. But that was a, a, an awesome aha moment. So did you ever dream you'd be doing what you're doing today? No. I had a lot of dreams, but I never dreamt that I would, be, I would end up in academia. I'm a non-traditional academic. I, wanted, I, I came to the U.S. for grad school, to the land of opportunity to pursue the American dream. I still very much believe in the American dream of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, but happiness is not just found at the top floor of the highest building in New York City making millions of dollars and running an enterprise. And that's wonderful. That might work for some, and I fully respect that. I'm a conscious capitalist. For me, happiness, for me, happiness is, uh, is, is uh, changing the world, making, a, making it a freer, fairer, uh, friendlier, more sustainable planet. And I ended up in academia because I saw the potential on how not, not, just, not could I just work on problems uh, and, have, and, and create impact, but at the same time, I could inspire and educate the next generation um, of students and, and um, the next generation of scientists and engineers and business people and uh, people who go out into the world who have that impact. So, and I love it. I mean, I love academia. I love that, uh, that the constant intellectual stimulation, all the challenges that come with it. Okay. Uh, so now we'll go to the lightning round. Uh, uh, so, Kanjan, with all our guests, we do the lightning round. <laughs> okay. Uh, so where'd you go on your last trip? My last trip, I was in uh, the Caucasus countries of Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. 
with family. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw a lot of posts from that trip, actually. So uh, where's your favorite place in the world? Somewhere in Africa. <laughs> Why? Uh, I feel human. I feel human in Africa. I build, I, I can engage with people. I can build relationships. Uh, I just feel more human. So what's your favorite Lehi building? I would say building C. I love the feeling of walking into building C and uh, looking up and uh, yeah, I love building C. I think building C needs a nicer name, uh, maybe a proper name, but that's a question for another day. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a question for development. Uh, are you an early bird or a night owl? A night owl. What are you reading? News mostly. Uh, I actually don't enjoy reading books as much anymore. I like the summaries of books, and I, I, I love. I, I, I always stay on top of news. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you binge watch at Netflix? Very rarely. Actually, I watch uh, typically two, three movies a day, or rather a night, because I do all my real work, creative work at night, uh, and that's a perfect level of uh, of white noise. Are Are you usually early or late for appointments? <laughs> Just about making it on time, plus Perfect. minus 30 seconds. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, you have any advice for students? I think every single student can go out and change the world, uh, and uh, they should. that's what they should aspire for, to go out, be ready to change the world, and uh, get stuff done. I talk a lot about execution and uh, how the difference between something done 99% and 100% is non one, not 1%. The difference between 99% and 100% is 100%. And I would love for our students to really focus on getting stuff done and getting stuff done that matters, uh, prioritizing that. So do you have a personal motto? Get stuff done. I believe that. Did <laughs> <laughs> uh, you make a New Year's resolution? Uh, for a few nanoseconds, so I don't make New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I don't either. The world is a little too unpredictable. And that's an excellent point, and that's something that I would have loved to talk about earlier, which is uh, Go for it. which is the idea that the world is becoming increasingly vulnerable, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. And we talk a lot about a VUCA world and how to be prepare students for this, to prepare for this world of ambiguity and chaos. And what better way to do that than throw them, like just throw them into all kinds of complex open-ended challenges and expect them to come up with solutions. If you set out to learn, you learn. If you set out to change the world and solve these really complex problems, you're going to learn so much more and just might solve that problem, right? Well, Kanjan, your passion is contagious, and I thank you for joining us today. This is Janet Norwood. I'm one of the co-producers of the Go-Getters podcast. The interview you just heard was recorded before the pandemic, so we wanted to catch up briefly again with Kanjan Mehta to see what has changed in his world. Kanjan is the inaugural Vice Provost for Creative Inquiry and Director of the Mountaintop Initiative. Thanks for talking with us again, Kanjan. Sure, Jen. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, trying to figure out how to make as many of our programs work in this uh, very different world. So when you talk with John Simon, you actually sort of close the conversation with talking about 
a world of ambiguity and chaos, and it's almost like a premonition. You know, that's absolutely true. I'll be talking about uh, a VUCA world, a vulnerable, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous world, and preparing students for that for the last few years. And uh, I think now I have validation. That's exactly what we should be doing, because that's exactly the situation we are in right now. The summer programs on campus have been canceled. How do you transition creative inquiry to a remote experience? Sure. So, uh, as you know, we offer several programs, but one of the most important programs is the Mounted Up Summer Experience, which happens over the summer, when we fund teams to uh, to accelerate their projects over a 10-week period, and they work full-time on their projects during this time, and then it goes back into the fall semester and into the, into the normal academic uh, routine. And um, uh, thankfully for us, uh, this has actually been a phenomenal opportunity to to reflect a little bit more on what matters most. Since most of our projects are multi-year endeavors, uh, this is a great opportunity for them to identify other threads of inquiry, identify other ways of, uh, of answering the questions that they want to answer through their projects, uh, and pick up those threads over the summer working virtually and remotely. So we're seeing a lot of teams uh, going back to the literature and studying the literature better to identify new intellectual pathways. Uh, we have some teams that have started prototyping and uh, build and conducting experiments uh, from their residences. Uh, at the same time, what has definitely suffered is that um, uh, that sense of working as a team. And uh, while the students' morale is amazingly high, uh, they're not able to do some of the things that they took for granted, like meet up uh, twice a day and uh, talk about strategy with a whiteboard in front of them. Uh, those things have been all moved to Zoom meetings, and those are not as effective yet uh, in terms of advancing the venture forward. But big picture, if I zoom out, uh, we have had a few teams uh, that were doing more bench science work or working in South Bethlehem, for example. Uh, had to cancel their projects, and uh, they'll pick up the, uh, pick up those projects when the semester, when the uh, campus is, uh, when the university is back on its feet. Uh, but the vast majority of the projects will be continuing in this virtual mode. And what has the response been like from the students? As for the students, morale has been amazingly high, and. Uh, uh, and I'm seeing them develop new skills. This has been a, 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 a you know, our students have witnessed wonderful acts of kindness, maybe a few acts of selfishness. They have learned empathy. They have developed a deeper appreciation for all the disparities that exist in society that have surfaced during the shutdowns and the pandemic response. Uh, they have, they're learning how to deal with uncertainty, ambiguity, and chaos. Uh, they're developing their emotional intelligence and learning uh, how to work across teams uh, when their peers are stressed and vulnerable. And uh, that education is priceless because uh, this is not a one-off thing. You know, I expect these kinds of situations to arise multiple times across their careers, and the emotional intelligence and empathy uh, that they have that they are developing now is going to uh, help them across their career. Uh, most importantly, I would say though, is that they are developing that personal resilience. Uh, where they have very little in their control and they're trying to figure out what it is that they can do when uh, a lot of the levers that they had access to have been taken away. And I'd like to report that they're doing wonderfully well. The students have really risen to the occasion. Uh, they're finding new ways to engage, new ways to work with their peers, uh, new ways to advance their ventures forward. 
And uh, it seems to me that at least some of the teams have made uh, larger gains during this uh, crazy time uh, because they have uh, because they have this uh, uh, situation that they have found themselves in, develop their personal resilience, and uh, they have a little more free time, which definitely helps as well. And you have a lot of, of international connections and, and global programs as well. You've got Sierra Leone, you've got networks across Asia and Africa and all around the world. How are those programs being impacted? I know there's the global impact of, of coronavirus as well. Yes, and that has been a, a, a real challenge for us uh, because of the Global Social Impact Fellowship. We were uh, we were planning to have students in Sierra Leone and Kazakhstan and, and Philippines for fieldwork. We are working on a new program in Madagascar, and right now all those uh, programs have been benched. And uh, while the teams still continue with their work, uh, they are not able to communicate and collaborate uh, the same way they used to and planned to because there are shutdowns in place in all of these countries as well. Um, at the same time, with some countries with, uh, with better infrastructure, such as Kazakhstan, uh, the virtual teaming uh, continues just as planned, and they've realized that about half the things that they wanted to do while they were in country for fieldwork can actually be done remotely, can actually be done by, by partnering uh, with, uh, with, with their uh, student peers and the nonprofit organizations in country. And uh, that is wonderful. So there, we, we just, we've had uh, two calls with our partners in Kazakhstan, which are uh, three different universities, and uh, students from those universities are now working shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with our students to advance our and their ventures forward. Are there any projects that students are talking about undertaking related to the pandemic? Yes, we actually just had a conversation with a student uh, a couple of days back who was um, uh, who had some uh, really interesting ideas on how, given the shutdowns, the pollution levels are likely dropping, and uh, that might be an opportunity to uh, to study how uh, environmental pollution has affected us over the years and how the current shutdown might actually be a good thing to give us pause and uh, and uh, have us um, uh, reflect on our consumption habits, on our travel habits, and how we can actually uh, reduce environmental pollution over a longer time period, which would have phenomenal um, uh, health benefits. Uh, that's just one example. We also have uh, some of our staff members at Lehigh that have risen to the occasion and are making face shields and stethoscopes for the local uh, health facilities. Uh, but are also innovating on finding creative and uh, that are also innovating and finding creative ways to build um, a face masks from uh, face masks from uh, reusable, easily available materials. So while that that particular example is not just about students, it's also about building uh, the capacity of our staff, and it is about uh, challenging our faculty to think about new ways in which their research. Uh, and their expertise would be relevant. So a lot of students have had their summer plans disrupted. How are they dealing with that, and how is creative inquiry playing a role in helping them out? A number of students have had their summer internships rescinded, or students are planning on um, uh, doing uh, international internships or research, and uh, those plans are all on hold now. And uh, so we've had a number of students reach out to us to see if there was a way in which they could participate uh, in some of the programs we offer. 
And uh, so uh, we found a few ways to do so. Uh, we are accepting uh, summer associates that can be part of teams uh, this summer. Uh, we are working with, uh, uh, with Beth Dolan and uh, her office on um, a new program that is focused on graduate students, especially international students that are stuck on campus, and um, try to find uh, ways in which we can have graduate student associates that could be a part of our teams. Uh, we also observed that uh, uh, there's a challenge with uh, Lehigh staff, some of whom are incredibly busy, and some others have uh, had their workload shifted and uh, might have a little extra time, and uh, there are challenges of low morale as well. And so we are looking at ways in which we can have Lehigh staff uh, uh, participate very directly on some of our projects and contribute to them, and that would be a wonderful way for professional development, uh, for boosting their morale, for building a sense of community, and of course, contributing to the project. Are there ways that listeners can learn more about the student projects that are going on? Sure, our website is up to date, and uh, if you go to the creative, if you go, if you go to the Mount Up Summer Experience website or the Global Social Impact Fellowship website, um, uh, you will learn about all the projects that our students are working on that will continue over the summer and beyond. And uh, over the summer, we will have two press conferences uh, somewhere around week five and week ten, uh, where students uh, will be presenting their work, and uh, these conversations will be open to the entire campus community and to the world. Uh, for them to uh, learn more about the projects and ask a lot of questions, um, uh, point the teams to various resources, offer their expertise, and we are really looking at uh, the larger Lehigh community and network to help advance these dreams forward. Well, that's great. We'll have to check that out and, and follow their progress through the summer then. Well, thank you so much for the update. Take care and be safe. We'll talk soon. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University hosted by President John Simon. Browse other episodes and check out related info about each Go-Getter by visiting their Inside the Episode page at lehigh.edu slash go-getters. That's lehigh.edu slash g-o-g-e-t-t-e-r-s. Special thanks to today's guest, Kanjan Mehta, Vice Provost for Creative Inquiry and Director of the Mountaintop Initiative at Lehigh University. Thanks also to sound engineer James Plotkin, co-producers Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. For more information about Mountaintop and Creative Inquiry at Lehigh, visit creativeinquiry.lehigh.edu.